everyone, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 8 of the Red Ribbon Cattle Podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Hassan, and I'd like to thank you for joining me on our 8th episode. Special thanks to our sponsors, CareSmith Creative as well as Logloft Promotional. CareSmith Creative offers exceptional graphic design creations for your business or personal needs. Ads, social media, and logo creations are his specialty. Logloft Promotional, owned by Karen Elines, offers laser engraving as well as embroidery, creating custom projects for individuals or businesses. On today's show, I am pleased to welcome the mother-son duo of Christine and Brad McIntyre of Rail Line Farms of Lucknow, Ontario. They have had incredible success and exhibited many national champions and have been trendsetters in the limousine breed. They have diversified and expanded their herd by adding some elite Angus genetics and they also run a poultry broiler operation on their farm. Christine also offers some insight as a show mom. She has always made this job look easy. She discusses the many things a busy show mom must cover when getting ready for and getting to the show. We'd like to welcome everyone to Season 1, Episode 8 of the Red Ribbon Cattle Podcast. I'm very pleased to have with us on today's show the mother-son duo of Christine and Brad McIntyre of Rail Line Farms. Christine and Brad, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having us. Well, we're, we're so thrilled that you joined us and we're so interested to hear your story. So let's Let's talk about where Rail Line Farms began. Uh, Christine, how about you take the lead on this one and, and tell us, you know, basically where, where Rail Line's story first begun? Yeah, sure, Wendy. Um, I think um, when we've listened to some of your other podcasts that you've done, um, we don't have the history uh, that the other um, people have had that you've interviewed. Um, we're relatively what you would say new to the cow calf business, even though it feels like um, we've been calving cows forever, sometimes in the barn in the wintertime. Um, so Paul and I, uh, my husband, we never showed cattle. Um, we both grew up on beef farms, but um, we really knew nothing about the show industry or um, anything. Uh, we never participated in 4-H or anything like that. So it's been a large learning curve. Um, for not just um, our kids, but also for us too. Um, my um, husband and I, we took over his dad's farm here just outside of Lucknow. Um, and basically that consisted of only a bank barn, um, 250 acres of cropland, um, a small bush and some pasture. And uh, 165 Massey Ferguson tractors, basically kind of how we started. Um, Paul was 11 when his dad passed away. Uh, the farm was rented at that time until Paul finished high school. And basically throughout his teenage years, he did work on a beef feedlot that's not far from our home farm here um, to kind of, I think his mom said, keep him out of trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, he, was handed, you were, he was handed a tough card at a very young age, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and actually, Paul was interested in becoming a helicopter pilot. Um, <laughs> That's but, quite a swing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but 
basically um, his mom didn't have the dollars at that time to put him through that schooling. Um, so she sat him down and talked to him at that time. And she basically said there was two choices. And one was to sell the farm and he could go on to school and learn, um, become a helicopter pilot or number two, um, keep the farm and farm. And I guess you can figure out what his decision was at that time. Right. Um, with where we are today. And I'll let Brad just kind of talk a little bit about the rail line story a little bit. That'd be great. Yeah, so basically how the, the cow thing started around here, it was, um, I was in about, I think it was about eight years old in 2002. We have a, a farm on top of the hill and we have, it used to be a pig barn and um, we transformed it into a show barn and um I guess we didn't do it. Uh, Steve and Carol McPherson's boys were, were showing steers and, and heifers at that time in the guineas. And, and they, they were keeping their cattle in the barn. And uh, Cole was my age, and he had a couple heifers that he was going to show them pre-4-H. And, and they were from Dennis and Doug Johnson of Lloyd Dent Stock Farms. And uh, they kind of seen me poking my head in the door, seeing what seeing what was going on. And, and uh, Carol reached out and asked if I, uh, I'd be interested in, in learning. So I, uh, I got the heifer that Cole didn't want to show. And I uh, showed her through pre-4-H uh, that year. And that's kind of where, where that started. Um, as far as the cows how they came about so after that year of pre-4-h i i was quite keen and, and spent a lot of time with that calf and was yeah really keen and i uh, every so it started out i got a I, I got a steer given to me by dad and then that steer what what uh what i made off that steer turned into another steer so i think i was up to about four steers in our front field at home and uh in 2003 BSE hip and I sold those four steers and and uh, lost quite a bit of money on them and I said to, I remember saying to dad I said uh, we got we got to do something different here this this is no good yeah that that's tough luck <laughs> yeah yeah so, so then so then anyways we were we were in the shed one night and a couple neighbors came down and and doing what neighbors do having fellowship in the back laneway in the pickup truck had a, <laughs> had a had a catalog it in their console their truck and it was the top metal farms production sale that was at carson's that year and i i said do you mind if i look at that so that they gave it to me and kind of explained some stuff to me and and uh so then when i went in the house i said hey dad like what, what would be would be wrong about going to that sale and and seeing what it's about and seeing if we could find a calf to show next year or a, a bread heifer and and seeing what was going on so mike uh Mike Geddes was managing top metal at that time. And dad, dad uh, knew of Mike. So he called him up and Mike said, yeah, come on down to the sale. So we went down to the sale and, and I remember sitting there and they were having a pretty good sale that day. Like they were, they were moving them along and, and cattle were selling well. And I said to dad, I said, I don't know if these ones are going to be in our budget today. So, it was a hot one. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were doing good. So then I, uh, we ended up getting a bred heifer, a black bred heifer. Her name was uh, TMF 111M Sally. And uh, we brought her home and calved her out and all was good. And we, we always joke between the home farm and the top of the hill farm, it drops about five degrees in, in uh, temperature 
going up the hill and it, <laughs> it, the barn was getting awfully cold with only one cow and calf in it. So dad called Mike up at Top Metal and asked if he'd be willing to part with five, I think it was five more cows, cows and calves. And um, yeah, Mike, Mike sold them to us and, and they, uh, they came, they came down and I guess that's kind of, kind of how it started. Right. Well, that's really interesting for sure. Mike has been a great ambassador for the limousine breed for sure. And, and a great guy to, to get your start from for sure. Now, Brad, what county um, that I, when I get up in your neck of the woods, I know that there's some counties that intersect. Um, so I'm not going to guess what county did you participate in 4-H? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so, so I, I participated in uh, here on County 4-H and okay. uh, Lucknow, is on the border of Huron and Bruce counties, and I live just outside of Lucknow, so I participated at, yeah in the Lucknow club. Right, and did you did you follow through 4-H uh, into some junior breed activities too, Brad? Yeah, yeah, it, uh, 4-H experience uh, it, it opened a lot of doors for me. Um, it gave me the opportunity to show show what is what I love to do the most. So it was um, right. As far as like activities wise, I, I participated in every uh, junior limousine national show that that came to Ontario. Um, all the all the junior shows, such as like the Junior Beef Expo and the Youth Forum and the Midwestern Ontario uh, show that was in Listowel. Um, I also participated in the uh, the National Junior Beef Heifer Show every year, and that's kind of kind of why I I did 4-H. That was kind of my my end goal, and I I like competing there and that was kind of like the the end of the year hurrah for me for sure well that's the big stage right that's that's uh on most 4-hers list as you know to get to the national uh, junior beef heifer show and and compete with the best of the best yeah no and and being able to compete and do well at the the junior beef heifer show opened up a few doors for me i uh i was fortunate enough to represent uh team canada twice in the uk at the young show stars so that that was a that was a real um, learning experience and, and just seeing different kind of agriculture and, and cattle, different type of cattle I should, right. in, in the UK. And, and, you know, getting a chance to visit with like-minded people in a different country, certainly, you know, that's a pretty cool experience too. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So I, I, I honestly didn't understand that you weren't, you know, generations long of show people. So you've, you've certainly done really, really well in, in the time that you've been involved in, in uh, showing cattle. Um, it, Brad, has anybody given you some great advice when you were a young guy just working your way up through the ranks that, that you remember? Um, yeah, the, the, the best um, advice I got um and 4-h uh, would be probably to to make sure your homework was done at home um i uh i i strive to do that and and try to do that as as best as we can i, I know there's uh only so many hours in the day now it seems but uh we, we we try to make sure the the work is done at home and and that that makes going to the shows a, a whole lot easier um I, we were talking last night and we were joking about that first calf that uh that I showed in pre 4-H that year. I said, if, if I could, uh, if I could spend as much time on that, uh, the amount of time I spent on that first calf, if I could spend it on all 14 or 12 that are going to the Tor Toronto for us this year, uh, we, we'd be in pretty good shape. So, 
<laughs> well, I think it's just a simple thing. You're at a different stage in life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. N- another thing that kind of hit home with me, the, the last, I believe it was my last year 4-H, a, a young family was uh, getting into showing cattle and, and I was kind of helping them out, showing them a few things. And we were, um, we just started 4-H for the year and the, one of the boys actually got killed in a farming accident and uh you know his his whole thing was he to ha- have some fun and smile and, and you know I've, I've i've always been pretty serious with the show cattle and I, i've learned to lighten up the last little bit and uh that last year 4-h with losing him was kind of tough on me but uh you know he he uh he sure taught me that you know, it's, it's not all about winning and, and being serious. You know, you got to have a little bit of fun and, and uh, smile at the end of the day. All right. Well, that's, that's pretty sound advice for sure. Yeah. Brad, that takes me into my next question. Um, you know, as a 4-H'er, you were also, you know, a mentor to a lot of junior kids. And uh, my son Brady was one of those that you, you know, took under your wing. And, and when he came into 4-H, he was keen like you were but, you know, lacked some skills. And I think that there's only so much mom and dad can show their children. And, and it's up to us as parents to try to align your kids with other successful young people. And, and I think for young boys, it's nice to watch older boys and girls too, um, with regards to, you know, what are they doing and, and what can you learn from them? And so you have an interesting story, Brad, with regards to, you know, you're an exceptional fitter and clipper. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about how you grew those skills. Yeah, um, it's funny you say that. We, we were talking again about this, about how funny of a story. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say if if you could see my first calf I clipped, they wouldn't. They, you sure wouldn't say they were exceptional. <laughs> um, we we had a calf in the in the barn that year, and and me and my friend went up to the top of the hill and decided to to clip a calf, and and I. Uh, no one ever needed to see that calf after that. It, it was, it wasn't pretty, but uh, you know, that I, uh, I learned that if I was keen and, and if I wanted to do it, I had, I had to practice. And the only way to practice and, and learn is, is to put the clippers in your hand and, and, and work at it. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's kind of the advice I have on that. Like you, you, um, you don't, uh, you don't get good by not doing it. So Right. Yeah. It's not a sport. You can stand on the sideline and watch and and then learn. Now I I understand that when you were um, a younger, younger gentleman, probably you weren't, weren't driving yet. Your mom and you hopped in the car and went to the U S and can you tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, no, that was, that was a pretty cool Christmas gift. Uh, We went to um, Iowa when the stock show university first kind of started, started up. And uh, I was awfully nervous before I went to that and uh, I remember getting there and then becoming even more intimidated and nervous as I as I walked into the arena and and uh, there was guys standing there such as Tracy Gretzka, Wade Rogers, Jess Rector, uh, Josh Elder, Nate. No, no pressure at all. Yeah like the, those are kind of the, the that's kind of the dream team you want working on one if you, if you could ever get it done and I, I was awfully nervous, but you know, that them guys that, that have all that experience, I, I tip my hat to them because they, they, they didn't treat me like a boy from Ontario that I, that I didn't know what I was doing. They, they, they got down on their knees and they, they, like they were, they were hands over hand, like 
giving me uh giving me tips and pointers and it was just a an overall great great uh great experience so, and how long were you there brad yeah we we were there th- three days so we were Right. And they supplied the cattle. So you didn't have to take your own animals there. There was cattle there for you to work on. Yeah. Um, mom called ahead and, and was talking to John Sullivan. And, and it was kind of funny that the cow I was working on, I, I can't remember exactly what she she did, but she he came up and she says, oh, yeah, this this one's daughter was was supreme in Louisville two years ago or, or you know, maybe, like, I was like, oh, okay, so it's not just an average one I'm working on either. <laughs> but, well, you never know. That might have made you better, right? Right, right. <laughs> well, that is that is a cool Christmas gift for sure. That That's a really neat story. And I'm sure, you know, that's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. And, and as young people, these experiences, a door opens and you participate, but you maybe don't realize the impact that it has on you until you know, a few years down the road. That's, that's really neat. Yep. For sure. What about your, your years in 4-H and as a junior, Brad, what was your biggest win? Um, yeah. So I, I thought a lot about this question I, and I, I don't like bragging or, um, or whatever. I, I, uh, I, um, you're very modest and yeah. we understand that, but I'm, I'm asking the question. So you're not bragging. <laughs> yeah. I promise. Yeah, no, I, so I, I guess looking back it, it it maybe wasn't about the biggest win. It was about, um, you know, s- starting from nothing and, and trying to do better. And whether it be, you know, trying to win, win a class. And then if you got, were fortunate enough to win a class, you know, moving ahead and, and uh, looking at the division and trying, trying to win the division. And then if you were fortunate enough to get out of the division, going for the champion, champion drive and, and trying, it was all about the steps and, and goals I, I, I set and, you know, it was just just all about the steps. Um, I still remember our, the first banner we won as a farm. It was a junior yearling heifer at Brampton, and uh, you know that was a pre- that was a pretty big one for us because we we got our first banner. So it was, um, you know, I, I guess if I were to narrow it down on a few um, few highlights of what we were fortunate enough to do, um, my first year at the Royal at the Junior Beef Heifer Show, I was. Uh, fortunate enough to win champion junior show person and at that time I, I believe there was about 150 60 junior show persons and uh that that was that was something pretty exciting for me and and being my first time being there that I think that's what really really gave me the drive to to do well and, and focus on on the royal being the end game every year I I, I truly and, and really did try to be the best I could at the Royal every year. So I did. Well, that's terrific. That taste of success sometimes just yeah. gives you more drive. Yeah. Um, another one when um, I believe it was 2011 and uh, we, I was me and Melissa, Melissa was champion junior show person and I was champion intermediate show person standing in, in the ring together for uh, overall champion show person. That was, that was pretty uh, special, and I, I remember Melissa. She ended up being reserve grand champion show person, and I remember standing in the picture talking to the judge after, and he, he looked at me and he says, "Are you are you Ken?" And I, I, I at that time I didn't know what that meant, and I <laughs> I, I said, uh, "Pardon, I, I just don't understand what you're saying." And he he says, "Are you guys brother and sister?" And he I said, "Yes," and he, he says, "Oh, this you're gonna have a long night tonight or something." <laughs> like I said, "I know I'm not gonna let." hear the end of this for a little bit but <laughs> it's all good um 
I remember listening to Brad Gilker's podcast he did with you and um, he, uh, he highlighted uh, at the Top Metal Junior Beef Heifer Show at the Beef Congress when he was championship person and I was reserve. It was his, his last year. And, and to a guy that, you know, I, I look up to and, and learned a lot of what I, what I know um, through showing cattle and, and from him, he, uh, that was something pretty special to, to be second to him. And, and uh, he, he doesn't let me, uh, he doesn't let me uh, hear the end of it. But I, I still remind him it was only my second year and it was his last. <laughs> so well, that's a pretty cool story for two neighbor boys too, right? Yeah. You go to the big city and you come home with the hardware. Yeah. One, uh, I'll just touch on one last one. Um, in 2012, I, uh, I showed an Angus heifer through JD. It was a Morgan female and she was, uh, she was lucky enough to be Supreme in the Angus show that year. And, uh, you know, I, I, the ultimate goal of mine was to win the heifer show, the champion female in the junior beef heifer show. And unfortunately I, I never could quite get that done, but, uh, that year I had champion Angus in the heifer show. So I was in the, the champion lineup and Melissa was fortunate enough to be champion limousine heifer. And I, I don't know really what went on. I was kind of in shock, but, uh, I remember Melissa walking out into the middle of the ring and, I, I later on that did find out she she was she won champion female so that you know I I know I didn't quite get it done but it, it, Melissa was fortunate enough to win it that day and that, that was something I was pretty pretty proud of. So absolutely. Um, you know, mom and dad have um have four banners in uh in the basement at their house and uh, every time I go down there I I look at them and uh, it was um between me and Melissa. We, we were fortunate enough to have all four banners from the from the junior beef heifer show, both yeah, grand champion show person, reserve grand champion show person, and grand and reserve female. So that that's something I, I'm pretty proud of and and proud of yeah, both me and Melissa for, for doing that. So Yeah, and rightly so. That's 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 really impressive for sure. So we're going to shift gears a little bit. And Christine, I, I have a few questions for you. Um, I remember when when Brady started 4-H and, and uh, your kids were juniors and you were just that show mom that had it all together. And, you know, I don't think that anybody that shows cattle would deny that it takes a team. Um, it takes a team to get kids and calves to a show into the ring. Um, but I think it takes a pretty organized show mom um, to get everything looked after. There's a lot of boxes to check off as we're, you know, getting ready for shows. And, and from the time that you, you do your entries till the time they, the kids and calves step foot into the ring, there's a lot that needs to get done. And uh, to me, Christine, you're that swan, you know, that saying that there's, you know, the swan, she's just floating gracefully across the water, but underneath she's paddling like crazy and you were always the swan. So I just wondered, Christine, if you could, we could talk for a little bit about, you know, some advice that you would give, um, you know, how did you keep all the balls in the air while you were a show mom? Hmm. Well, it's funny that you say that um, I definitely did not feel like any swan um, <laughs> as I said um, it was new to us um, I know Paul and I 
um, before this, we ever even let the kids show, um, we kind of talked about it a bit. Um, Brad had seen Brad Gilchrist's picture in the Lucknow Sentinel when he won the Queen's Guineas, and he had said, you know, I'd like to do this. I want to do this. And at the time, um, we have a busy farm, and I work off the farm, and the kids were all, all three of our kids were involved in hockey and, <coughs> excuse me, other sports, and um, along with other activities. And we kind of thought, well, like, you know, what is this even all about? And so we went to a few shows. Uh, we went to the Provincial Breed Association show, um, and we traveled to the Royal and went out to Agribition. And we kind of tried to take a, a look at what this was, this industry was even all about and whether it was something that we wanted to even be involved in. And we kind of got... Um, caught up in the excitement of it all and I know I, our final chats were like you know Paul kind of thought that this was something that him and Brad and the rest of the family could um, be a part of and it was something we could all do together so I guess that's kind of how we took a look at it to begin with um, it looked exciting it looked um, like lots of fun and it looked like um, uh, just a good activity and as Paul said like you know he could be running a, a dirt bike around the track and we could be there every weekend kind of thing and mm -hmm. this looked like a better fit for our family at that time so um, I think my biggest thing was the learning curve and um, just trying to uh, the kids were learning but I tried to learn ahead of them or even try to stay up on everything that was kind of going on whether it was trends that were happening um, within the beef industry or within showing cattle um, all the different shows that were happening whether um, it would fit with what we were doing or um, getting things together and the different opportunities so I always just tried to stay ahead and um, make sure that we were aware of what it was and how to um, either get involved organization I don't know um, I'm a list person um, I make lists pretty well every day um, here even still today um, of what needs done kind of the next day, um, whether it's something for purchasing, whether it's something calls that need made, um, different things like that. So um, I just find that that's the only way that I can kind of keep things together. So obviously with showing cattle, depending on what show it was or whatever, just, I, I guess just keeping, um, making sure that um, the list for the loading tra the, the trailer or what items were needed, um, food lists, um, just trying to, if it was like a, a junior national show, all the different things that the kids would need to, as they were involved in, like, you know, did they have their speeches? Did they have, like, you know, the appropriate clothing for team um, judging? All those different things that they would need and made sure that um, they were in. So I usually just, um, I know, especially for the big shows, we even start stockpiling um, out in the garage or up on top of the, start going through all the, show stuff and making sure that it's all ready or it needs repaired and um, we kind of then all work on it together um, and then everything just kind of seems to keep falling into place uh, I don't know whether there's any magic secret um, but I think showing's a lot like other activities that the kids are involved in um, and as a mom and you know it too and I, I've seen you 
all running behind the scenes too and making sure that they have everything. And as I said, it's whether it's be a show stick or a hockey stick or new dance shoes, you just make sure that things are ready and able to, for them, for the activity that they're going to be involved in. And I think, I think we all know if you need something done, I think the model is that you ask a busy person. And um, <laughs> I think that it just goes to show that we um, are just a, try to be as organized as possible and keep things rolling and you want your kids to succeed and do the best. So I found that if I was organized and tried to have that done ahead of time, then that helped them. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, you know, prior to the kids getting involved, it was a very smart approach to, you know, immerse yourself in the industry and find out whether it would, it would be a good fit. And, um, I, I'm a list person too. I just, I wholeheartedly agree. In fact, I have a notepad and pen beside my bed because there's some nights you wake up and you think, oh, I have to remember to do that. But you write it down right when you think of it. You don't have to worry about forgetting it for sure. That's right. Now, Christine, if, if, um, to all the new show moms out there, if you were a first time, uh, 4-H mom, is there one piece of advice you'd give them? Wow. So I, yeah, I did some thinking on this and um, I think um, if the, it was only one piece of advice, I think um, I could just say, enjoy it. Um, the junior years go by quickly, even though sometimes I didn't feel Brad was ever going to get out of junior showmanship because <laughs> I thought that he would, or as a junior age, because it felt like he was there forever. Um, but they do go by really quickly and like, you know, great friends are made along the way. Um, and I think that's the important part is like, you know, making sure that everybody's enjoying what they're doing and, um, and making it like, you know, fun. And, um, even though some days like, you know, you, they learn some tough lessons and stuff like that. I think it's all about enjoying it, but I did write down a little bit of other advice and, um, I found that was supporting them at home. Um, in the barn um, and that's their first step to their success so um, whether it's like you know with the halter breaking uh, tail twisting brushing blowing and washing especially as if they're younger um, and but as I can say I've spent my fair share in the last month up at the show barn too um, Brad and I were blowing and washing and kind of working as a team trying to do some halter breaking and but um, I've done everything from pretending to be a judge out um, as they're practicing and you just feel like you've done it all up there to help give them the, the grassroots to that when they show up at the show that they're ready and prepared. I, I would say another piece of advice is if you could find an older junior to align them with or be a mentor for them. So somebody that they are looking up to so that they can kind of find their way and, um, have some, as Brad says, like, you know, he set goals, he found mentors that he really wanted to succeed and be like, and I think that makes a big difference. Um, and as I said, yeah, learning yourself. Um, I think I probably asked more questions and sometimes my kids would be so embarrassed by different things that I was either asking or they would like, you know, put their hands across their and say, Oh gosh, mom, like, you know, I can't believe you said that or did that. But I found that if like, you know, I had to, I found like I had to seek the answers and ensuring that I had the right information for them to be able to know what they were doing. Um, and I think the other thing is letting them do the work. Um, 
I think at shows, we always taught our kids that the cattle come first, um, whether it be a small fair in the area or whether it was like, you know, the show at the Royal. Um, it was a matter of it's always the cattle first and the work um, has to happen. And then, like, you know, the fun happens once all the work is done um, after the show kind of thing. And, like, you know, you have the cattle all washed and blown again and fed and looked after and everything cleaned up. And then, you know, that's the fun. And then I think one of the other big things that we I felt that um, teaching our kids um, the cost, because there is a cost behind showing cattle. Like, you know, I often thought maybe dirt biking was cheaper. Um, <laughs> um, what our kids, um, we came up with uh, that if they won um, dollars or prize money of any sort, whether it was $6 at the county show or whether it was like, you know, $1,000 at, um, at, at a bigger show, um, they called the a jar in the cupboard the pot and they always put their money in the pot, whether it was a check made out to them or whether it was just um, cash dollars. And then they chose um, different things that they needed for showing, whether it be a new fan, whether it be a new shoot, um, show sticks, whatever they needed, then they purchased that from the pot. And I think that taught them um, that there was a cost and that, like, you know, it just wasn't an activity that, you know, to take lightly because they were more heavily invested in it. So I think that was um, a little bit of advice. And I think the other thing is um, just keeping your integrity and having your kids um, learn that there's a lot of hard lessons in showing cattle, um, but to keep your integrity and be a good sport. I think that's another piece of advice. And I am sure there's lots, lots more and a lot of other, parents would have other things that they would feel were important but those are some of the things that I kind of came up with that I think are for new new people getting involved to to think about and um, as they move ahead and support their kids in it and hopefully it also helps keep the kids involved in in doing it because um, rather than getting involved for a couple years and then thinking they don't want to be involved so right right all great points Christine for sure now, the one, one challenge that we have sometimes as, as show families is we get to a fairgrounds early in the morning and sometimes there's no food available, sometimes there's no time to go get food. Do you have some favorite foods that you take on the show road with you that are, you know, a fan favorite, that are easy, that are ready, you know, ready to eat whenever? Um, I know I'm personally always looking for those things, and I'm sure our listeners would uh, would appreciate hearing a few options from you as well. <laughs> this question actually made me laugh, Wendy, because <laughs> even though it may look like I had it all together, lots of times I didn't. Um, <laughs> I have to... Um, say that um, Paul's family has been a very supportive family. Um, I, I have to think that our favorite food was actually a cooler that was always packed um, by Paul's Aunt Mary. Um, it always had sandwiches, buns, pickles, apples, celery, and carrots and dip, and homemade chocolate chip cookies. And it would eat, show up at every fair. Um, wow, that's or, so impressive. And what a big help. Yeah, so it would show up um, with or without her. Um, and she, if she couldn't make it, then she always made sure it was here to go. And, um, and it, it always was enjoyed. And the kids, like, you know, knew exactly 
um, what they were getting and it was like, you know, healthy, nutritious enough, but yet uh, like, you know, some, some good old favorites in there. And um, especially the early starts in the morning, it was always looked forward to um, each day to dig into that cooler every time we were at some show. And I really can't say I have a favorite recipe, uh, Wendy. Um, I know the bigger shows that we've started probably to, to do a little bit more because you're there for longer periods of time or whatever. I think one of our standards is, and I, Brad's, um, I can tell you right now, kind of sitting here shaking his head. He always thinks this stuff is um, not important in showing cattle, but it, it is because then they're... Um, like, you know, the kids are fed for the day. They, like, you know, have a, a good base. I always, like, you know, a toaster, bagels, peanut butter and jam and coffee is always a standby in the morning. So no matter what time each of them are done with, if you're starting to wash a show string of 11 or 12 um, head, that different people at different times can go in and make themselves a little bit of breakfast. And then, of course, like, you know, our crock pot's always our best friend when we're there. And um, at some of those shows, so like taco in a bag or barbecue beef on a bun, um, even just some like potato soup or mac and cheese. And, and I always find that they always like um, kind of more nibblies like cheese and meats and crackers. And then of course I always make homemade chocolate chip cookies too. So that's always something that they look forward to. Um, but as I said, I, I'm sure people have more elaborate recipes and stuff. So I don't think I have anything that's new to the crowd at all. It's just kind of what works and having it there and ready so that um, whoever needs to eat at the time and um, can get a little bit of nutrition. And I, I know some of our first years, there was lots of times we were leaving the barn at different barns at the shows at sometimes 1030 or 11 at night and then looking for some place to grab something to eat before falling into bed to get up at four or five in the morning. So um that's um, where we kind of started to get a little bit more, making sure that we had some meals on board. So For yeah, sure. I, I, no family secrets by any means of any favorite recipes. <laughs> Well, but it's helpful to hear what others do for sure, because I think the secret is to have, have things on hand and whether, whether they need it now or in an hour, at least it's ready and uh, they can keep on working and doing all the things they need to do and, and stay, you know, as you say, stay nourished and have some good nutrition to give them stamina to, to continue with the long day for sure. Right. So let's talk about the story of rail line farms with regards to the actual, you know, nitty gritty of the farm. Um, now, let's talk about your family. So Paul's, Paul, Paul and Christine, or mom and dad, tell us about your kids, Christine. Sure, sure. So I'll start. Um, we, we do have another daughter, Natasha, and um, she's um, our oldest, and she's married um, to Brad Sproul, and they live in Godridge area, and Natasha's an RN at Godridge Hospital in the operating room, and um, Brad actually works at the Godridge Elevators for P&H, um, loading boats and grading all the different um, pulses and um, grains that come in, um, and we have, we're blessed with two um, two grandsons, um, Caleb's four and Tanner's one and a half, and they're lots of fun. For sure. um, and actually Brad and Caleb had his first experience at the Lucknow Fall Fair this year of showing cattle. So that was pretty exciting for us. Um, Brad took him in the ring and they went in for pre 4-H. So that was maybe our next generation kind of starting out. So yeah. fun. Um, Brad, of course, most of you, already know um is he's been around 
the show Barnes for a long time and then his girlfriend Alyssa and they live across the road from us and um, both of them Alyssa um, works off the farm also um, but um, she's a huge help in the barns uh, throughout the winter as we spend a lot of time in there with calving and feeding the all the cows and um, helps with any of the field crops as, um, as she can. And my youngest daughter, Melissa, um, Brad's made reference to her as we've talked through some of this. Um, Melissa um, also grew up in the 4-H program and showing cattle. Um, she's also an RN and she works at Stratford Hospital in labor and delivery. So um, that's kind of our, our, our family um, and on our farm, yeah. Great. Well, you've, you've, sounds like you've raised some very successful uh, children for sure. Now let's talk about um, the nitty gritty, as I said, with regards to the cows too, Brad. Um, our family was fortunate to come up uh, late this summer and, and you were kind enough to give, you a, give us a pasture tour and it was, it was great to see your herd. And so I'd, I'd kind of like it if you could share, you know, the farm story with our listeners with regards to, you know, the kind of cattle you have. Uh, I know that you're working with a couple different breeds. Um, and then we'll talk about the diversification a little bit of the, the poultry operation that's there and the cash cropping as well. So I'll let you take it away, Brad, with regards to what you're doing at Real Life. Yeah, so uh, we, um, we have about 220 cows we're going to calve this winter. Um, primarily, they're uh, limousine cows. We have about 100 and, yeah, 190, 185, 190 uh, limousine cows we'll calve. And... Um, the, the remainder being Angus cows that we've started, started building. Um, yes. Yeah, so we, um, we keep about, oh, I don't know, about 50, 55 heifers every year and, um, 20, 25 bull calves every year to sell. And, um, the rest will be stalker calves and we send them to a stalker sale. It's actually coming up here. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the, the cow story of what we got going on. And what about acres acres grown, Brad? Do you grow all your own, your own crops to feed cattle? Do you do some cash cropping over and above that? Yes, so we we um we row crop about twelve twelve hundred acres between uh, um, soybeans, uh, wheat, and uh, corn, and we uh, we cut. Well, this year was probably our biggest hay, hay year yet, but we, we cut about 450 acres of hay where we, uh, where we used to feed the cows. And uh, big, we big square bale a bunch of it to export into the, into the states and, and uh, to, to dairy and horse uh, producers down there. Okay, great. So you need a good, hot, dry summer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yet you need, you know, timely rain, but right, right, uh, right. That's, that's a lot of hay for sure. Yep. Now you do have some, uh, you do have a, a, like I said, some diversification on the farm there. You do have a poultry operation. Um, I believe you had told me that, that your dad, that's kind of his baby, but can you tell us a little bit about, about that? Uh, yeah, I can chat a little bit about that. So I, I think the story behind the chickens um, was basically um, when Paul and I started farming, um, we actually started more feedlot Um and backgrounding kind of like um, basically Char and Herford, or Char Herford cross steers. And they would come in from straight off the ranches, um, Burns Lake, Northern BC. We'd bring down about 10 potloads every fall. And um, 
that we would uh, look after them and feed them throughout the winter and background them and then sell them in the spring and um, then bring down a bunch of Western calves again in the spring. And we have, we're quite blessed here. Um, we're in Bruce County and some good pasture land here and have lots of pasture. So we would pasture again, background um, a bunch of steers again and sell them in the fall in the fall market and then start filling up again the barns for the winter. So that was kind of um, our cattle background to begin with. Um, before we turned into the cow calf and you heard a little bit about that story at in the earlier part of this when we were mm -hmm. chatting um so again we talked a little bit about the pit or uh, bse and um obviously that was a hard time within the beef industry and many uh, beef farmers that are listening um we've all worked hard at being able to weather the storm and work through that and one of the um, ways that we looked at things at that point was looking at some diversification and being able to um, ensure some income and have things, um, I, I guess, a more secure future is what we're looking at um, because of a lot of the ups and downs. And I, I always say farmers are the eternal optimists and we all know that. But after a few years of um, dealing with BSE and low prices and stuff, we had to look to to another avenue um, of farming. So um, at that time, we, we purchased a farm um, probably about 30 miles from here, and it um, had a newer chicken barn on it, and we bought the quota um, with that. And um, so we started into um, chicken farming at that time. We um, um, have a broiler operation. Um, so we um, started that, I can say, I don't know whether our cattle guys were as keen on that to begin with. And again, it was another learning curve for us, but um, Brett, or Paul's totally um, learned that whole industry. And um, we then decided that we would um, move the, the broilers here and we built a chicken barn here at home um, to make it a little easier for um, looking after things instead of having to either go there all the time or have somebody else help us with management of it. So that way we were able to manage here. So um, that's kind of how the, the chicken um, side of our operation started and um, we're continuing on to this day um, with the chickens. So. Right. So how many birds do you have, Christine? Hmm. I'm sitting here trying to think. They actually go out um, in a couple of days. Uh, the barn's empty out, but um, I would say around 18, 19,000 right. birds are in the barn. We grow a bigger bird right now. So we, we grow around a, a 4.1 kilo bird. So kind of more of a small roaster. Right. And how many rotations go through the barn in a year? Just for, yeah, you know, I'm sure. not, a, I'm, I'm not, I don't claim to be really well versed in the, the poultry <laughs> industry. So it's, it's a learning opportunity for me too. Yeah. So we, we usually have around six crops that go through the birds or through the barn in a year. Okay. That's, yeah. that's really neat. Great. Yeah. It's so it's, I think it's, it's important to be diversified. And, you know, I, I, I've always said there's so many new chicken barns going up that it's obviously an industry that's doing things right and doing things well. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it is an industry that, um, you know, that seems to have um, the marketing and stuff figured out. And, having the quota system definitely is a, is a benefit 
um, to that industry for sure. For sure. Now, is quota easily accessible, Christine, or is it is is it like the dairy cow side where there's just not a lot of it available, so you get it in little bits and pieces? Um, yeah, you can acquire in little bits and pieces. Um, sometimes it is hard to obtain. Um, usually, if there's some growth years um, that the industry is looking at growth, then um, sometimes there's a little bit more to be able to be purchased. Um, right. So I, I think that's um, that's uh, those are good growing years. Or and there's also a new entrant program too. So. Um, that allows people the opportunity to um, be able to get involved in the, the industry. Right, great. So if we swing back to the cow side of things, I, I'm kind of curious, Brad, you've got a lot of cows to get in calf, um, or Christine, whoever wants to answer this question. Um, do you use artificial insemination? Do you use some natural walking power? What, how do you get cows in calf? Yeah, so I'll touch on this. We uh, we breed cows in, in March, April, and the start of May. And um, yeah, so when we start setting cows up, so we, we batch breeder cows. Mm -hmm. um, we, we try to get them bred as quick as we can just to keep things on time and, and, and knowing that we got to go to the fields too coming up. So we uh, we'll, when we first set cows up, we'll, we'll set about 80 cows up the first time and AI them. Mm -hmm. and then uh, we'll reuse the cedars and, and then uh, set about another 80 cows up and then um, the week after which normally makes for a pretty busy January I'd say um, <laughs> yeah th then uh, th yeah then we'll set a, a couple smaller groups up here and there um, we've been flushing flushing cows every year um, throughout the year and we uh, we put embryos in here at home and as well at, at a at a a place up north from here they, they put embryos and heifers for us and uh and then yeah we dad dad has been very uh he's had a very good eye for for walking bulls we've been very fortunate enough to to be able to acquire and, and purchase bulls from from the states to western canada um through the top metal program and uh and and out east uh um yeah, he he's always had he's that's always been a big uh, big thing for him is ha is having a good bull to walk walk the cows once we're done AIing. For sure, yep. Well, it's an important piece of of everybody's program is you know productive cows are the ones that that you know earn their keep for sure. Yep. Now, with regards to selling cattle, um, do you have a sale or are you involved in a sale in order to merchandise your genetics? Yeah, no, we, we currently don't have a sale. That's that's maybe down the down the road in the future once the Angus numbers get up a little higher and, and you know it's for sure gonna be be talked about down the road. But we, we sell our cattle. Um, the bulls get sold privately and, and for us it, it, it just works for us. We we uh, we have the people pull in the laneway and, and uh, look through the bulls and, and kinda talk to us about what they what they want, what they need and and uh, then we kinda point them in the right direction of the bulls we think are, are gonna are gonna work for them and, and then they they can get a sense of, of how, how we keep our cattle and, and what we what we do to them and um and then if they want to if they want to look at the the cow or the bulls dam or grand dam or or even sire if, if he's here he he's available to do that so we we find that to 
we find that pretty handy in selling bulls. So we do. Um, as far as females, um, I've, I've consigned some Angus cattle to a few select sales like the in it to win it sale. Um, and, uh, the falls view sale I've consigned to, um, as far as embryos, we will sell embryos and semen privately and, uh, through select sales as well. Um, our, our females, yeah, our, we have people come in and, 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 um, put together, we put together groups of cattle and sell them, sell them privately. If that's, if that's how they want to buy them or. Yeah, so basically, more or less, is it's a private treaty handshake deal, and uh, we we enjoy meeting everybody and and having them here on the farm to look at them. Well, that's really interesting. Yeah. So as as breeders, um, I think we all have you know some favorite cows, and and you know we're tied emotionally to them as well as hopefully financially that they're they're the ones that are they're the profitable ones. But do you have any brood cow stories that you'd like to share with us of some special cows that have made their mark on your program? Yeah, no, I'll I'll touch on that. Um, in two thousand and six, Dad went to Agribition, and um, Top Metal was selling a heifer calf out there, and her name was. Uh, just peachy 521s and i i shouldered the next year as a 4-h project and uh we we end up losing her at a about four years old four or five years old but uh we we, we got her flushed a few times and and she raised a one out of the the embryos she raised us a, a 833a and a few years ago she was champion female in toronto and and has produced numerous amount of good cattle here and uh, you know that that peachy peaches um, um, cow lineage uh, is is very important around here. Um, another one is the Lily female that Melissa won the Junior Beef Heifer Show with in 2012. Um, you know she, we we flushed her numerous of times, and, and uh, I I didn't look up online how many progeny she has, but I, if I were to guess, she'd have about 20 or 25 progeny around here or ha that have been here so hmm. she's been a very good producer for us um touching on the angus side of it um i talked in in 2012 jd mcfarland let me show a morgan female and uh she was supreme in the angus show that year and um i i didn't own her but she she was here that summer and fall and we got her ready and I, I was kind of mad at myself for not approaching JD at the start of the year and, and seeing if I could be a part of her. But um, she had a heifer calf a few years ago and her name was Sky. And JD called me up and said, if you're interested, then for sure, I said I, I'd be interested in her. And uh, yeah, so Sky's around here and we sold her, her um, one of her daughters last year at the Fallsview sale to DNN Livestock. And she's on that, that two-year-old is on the show road this year and, and Sky's still here and we flushed her a few times and, you know, we're real excited about her future. And uh, another Angus female would be the uh, female I bought from Four Corners in Illinois, the Missy female. She was my last uh, 4-H project. And uh, yeah, she, she's, uh, we flushed her a few times and, and uh, I have, I had about, I think I have about three, two-year-olds out of her all raising good cat all raised good calves this year and we look forward to her future too here 
Well, that's terrific. It's nice to hear those stories for sure. How many shows would you folks go to in a year, Brad? Yeah, see, that's another thing we were laughing about. Uh, you know, back in the day, like I, I tip my hat off to you, you Wendy, and Jim, and, and the boys for what you guys do in a year and the shows you attend and the success you have had. And, and uh, you know, looking back on it, that, that was us. But, you know, there's there's just not enough hours in a day, it seems. And I, I was thinking about trying to get to a show, and then I cut a couple hundred acres of hay, and, and it just didn't work. And, you know, I, I wish... I wish we could get to more shows, but we kind of always said the Royal was our, our end game. And, and yeah, we will be at the Royal this year, but uh, yeah. So to answer the question zero this year, except. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as I said earlier, you know, we, you know, life is all about stages and, you know, I think um, once your junior career ends, it's not that the opportunities end, it's just that your priorities shift. And uh, that's, I'm sure what, what has happened in your case. Great. Um, so with regards, we're talking about the Royal. Let, let's talk about what you're taking. Uh, what do you plan to show at this year's 100th Royal? Yeah, so we're taking uh, seven limousine females and a bull calf. And um, we're taking five Angus this year. And it's kind of exciting for us because um, this will be the first year the Rail Line Farms prefects will be in the Angus side side of the show. So we're, we're excited about that for this sure. year. Yeah, it's, there, there's some pride in that. Absolutely. Yeah. What about your biggest win to date in, you know, once you came through the junior program, you had some incredible success there as, you know, as now a, a established breeders in both Limousin and Angus, do you have, have a win that just, you know, sits with you that, that, you know, takes you down that road of that was, that was a great one. Yeah. Um, probably for me it wasn't so much me it was it was my sister winning the the junior beef heifer show with that lily female that you know anybody that comes around the farm that's new or a new vet that comes or or somebody i'm pretty sure dad tells them the story about about lily winning that show he's pretty proud of her and and i am too and it it was it was a that was a pretty cool day for us for sure let's talk about mentors um i've i've alluded Brad, that, that you are a mentor yourself, but, but who did you look up to when you were uh, a young man growing up? Yeah, so I have a few wrote down. I, uh, I, uh, I got to start with my dad. He, uh, you know, from what he's gone through, like I know I'm 27 years old and, and uh, I've taken more and more responsibilities on, but him losing his dad at 11 years old, I, I tip my hat off to him what he's, what he's done by himself basically mm-hmm. to it, it he uh he's truly a role model and, and uh i'm pretty pretty lucky and fortunate i get to i get to work with him every day and and uh and uh yeah work work through what we're doing and and he uh yeah he he's taught me taught me basically everything i know about farming whether it be crop and cattle equipment fixing yeah he, he uh he's He's pretty special to me, so he is. That's great. Um, another another one I have is uh, Brad Gilchrist. Uh, a lot of people know me and Brad have, have uh, worked together throughout the years, and uh, you know, I he, he, we all know he's a busy guy, and and he uh, he was fortunate enough to take me under his wing, or I was fortunate enough to take 
fortunate enough to be um be a a part of what what he did and he uh I remember back in the day when I seen that picture in the Sentinel of him winning the guineas, he, I, I called him and I said, I was interested in showing cattle. And he says, okay, well, I, I got to work tonight at West cast. I work the night shift. I'll pick you up at six o'clock after my shift's done tomorrow morning. And from that, it, it just turned into hours and hours of working with them. And, and, and that, yeah, he, he, he is a, he's a, he's a big role model to me. So he is. Um, JD McFarland um, is another guy that that has helped me out a lot. What just starting into the Angus Angus business and and uh, and being level headed and being able to talk to he uh, he um, yeah he he's been uh, he's been a big part of what I do. Um, Mike Geddes from Top Metal for giving us the the opportunity to select and purchase the cattle through top metal and, and, and being somebody that you can talk to no matter, yeah, no matter where you are or, or um, who you're talking to, he, he'll, he'll talk to you and talk you through things. He, he's been, he's been a huge help to me and being able to talk about genetics. Uh, me and Mike could probably sit on a tailgate and, and talk about limousine and Angus genetics for hours and hours on end he's he's uh he's pretty uh pretty important to what we do um another another guy that uh that has taught me a lot and i've looked up to is daryl saunders and if any of you know daryl he's he's a guy that kind of doesn't say a lot but has so much talent he uh he um he's a, yeah like i said a man of few words but has a lot of talent whether it be clipping AI and cows, uh, cropping any, any sides of farm. And he, uh, he has, he's been a big, big mentor to me too. That's and an impressive list. Yeah. And what just, about you, Christine? Yeah. I, I, I'm just going to jump in and mention, um, we were very fortunate, Paul and I, um, as, as we already mentioned, he had lost his father. Um, there wasn't, um, there was a lot of um, females in um, Paul's family and not a lot of men figures. And so we were fortunate. There was a couple local um, cattle guys that really supported um, Paul. We'd have to mention Brad Galbraith um, and Jerry Smells um, from Tri-County. Um, and um, another couple of local cattle guys that we could always talk to and help support us as we were working through um, our years in um, the feedlot industry would be like, you know, also Ron Bennett and Ross McCall. So they were um, good mentors to us on the farm and, um, and helped us definitely succeed in the cattle industry. Great. Well, that's wonderful. It's important to have those, you know, those helping hands along the way, because uh, as you said, Paul losing his dad at such a young age, you know, you all have to be so proud that, that you are where you, you are because it, it could have went a different way for sure. Mm -hmm. So what about the future goals for rail line farms? Uh, you know, are you, do you have anything in the works for, you know, increasing land base, increasing cow numbers, decreasing cow numbers? Do you have any future plans for change? Um, I would love to be able to say decrease. Um, 
Um, but I do think there is, um, on the farm side, um, if anybody has been at our farms or traveled through and had an opportunity to, to look at our cattle or um, visit us, um, we have a lot of older style beef barns. Um, and they weren't really set up for cow-calf operation. Um, the guys have made things work, um, but obviously um, with the majority of calving um, the first three months of the year, and we know what that's like in Midwestern Ontario, um, I think a new beef barn um, is probably on the horizon um, of cow-calf kind of set up um, to ease the workload and better support our cow-calf um, operation that's happening. And I also think probably looking at the growth of chicken consumption um, within, the, within the world, uh, um, we're definitely going to probably see um, uh, another chicken barn um, expansion here. Um, and then I'd have to say some of my future goals would be probably more grandchildren um, in the future so that um, we can enjoy them and hopefully they'll be able to we'll be able to enjoy watching them show cattle too. Um, and obviously our continued succession planning within the family. And I'm sure um, neither Paul nor Brad would shy away from more cropland close to home if, if the opportunity arose. So I do think probably looking at different things like that. Um, I don't know, Brad, if you have anything that you wanna. Yeah, no, I, I, I'll touch on the cow, the cow side of things. I, I feel like um, we, I'm happy with where we are at in numbers. Um, we uh, we have to do some some management things and uh, get get things dialed down a little bit. Um, we uh, I, I, I'd like to keep growing the Angus the Angus side of things too. Um, the limousine cattle will always be here and always have a big part of what we do. But uh, I, I'd like to focus a little bit more on the Angus side of things and, and pushing towards that. Well, that's great. It, it, you know, you, you folks worked hard and long hours and, and you've had tremendous success, but, you know, having future goals too, that, that gives you some reasons to get up in the morning and, and uh, you know, work together and, and, and reach those goals. So folks, that brings us to the end of, of our podcast. And, you know, I certainly want to thank Christine and Brad. Uh, thanks to you both for spending some time with us. In, in a short time, you folks have certainly established yourselves uh, to be shining stars in, in two breeds in the beef industry here in Ontario, both the Limousin breed and the Angus. And uh, you've done it as a family. So my hat is off to you for doing such a terrific job in your breeding uh, programs there. And uh, congratulations on all of your success to date. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best at this year's 100th Royal uh, and look forward to visiting with you in person there. All right. Well, th thanks a lot for having us and we look forward to catching up with everybody at the Royal. I'd like to thank today's guests, Christine and Brad McIntyre of Rail Line Farms. They are very modest people, but have made an incredible mark in the show cattle industry, specifically in the Limousin and Angus breeds. Their story is unique and shows the incredible amount of commitment and hard work it takes to succeed in the beef business. 
Be sure to look them up if you are visiting or participating at this year's 100th Royal Winter Fair. Thanks to our sponsors Logloft Promotional and Caresmith Creative. Logloft Promotional is a promotional company based out of Cookstown, Ontario. They specialize in laser engraving as well as embroidery, creating custom projects for individuals as well as events and business promotion. Find them on Facebook or Instagram at Logloft Promotional. Caresmith Creative is an extremely talented graphic designer who can assist you with all your design ideas for logos, ads, and social media creations. Visit his website at www.caresmithcreations.com. My podcast is scheduled to air the last Thursday of every month. I'd like to thank my listeners for tuning in to the eighth episode of the Red Ribbon Cattle Podcast. Until next time, I'll say goodbye, take care, and we'll talk again soon.